For those of you who don't know who I am, um, my name is Josh Willifer. I'm the lead pastor at New Life Church in Aurora, Ohio, which if you don't know where Aurora, Ohio is, uh, we're in the northeast part of Ohio, the southeast suburb of Cleveland. We are in the Akron area. Uh, in fact, I serve as the Akron area presbyter, uh, which for those of you that don't know what that word is, uh, basically, uh, I have a friend that calls it the um, cleaner of the elephant cage, but um, it's... <laughs> Uh, we are point leader for a group of churches geographically um, in our area. And so if you have an opportunity, connect with those, those churches in your area. Be a part of that. You probably have a rep, depending on what you do here. And so um, we're going to be talking today about age and stage discipleship uh, for, for by way of um, uh, kind of introduction into our conversation today, a couple of pieces that will be helpful to you. Uh, you can actually download the notes that I'll be following today at auroranewlife.com uh, slash synergy. That little overlay is on every slide. And then if the guys up in the land up there uh, can go to that next slide, uh, that at the top, um, obviously with a group this size becomes hard. We want to do some dialogue. We want to answer some questions and we want to have a conversation with a group this size. Uh, it can be a little challenging, and so we're going to leverage a little technology today. And if you can, if you got a smartphone or you got some way to grab the internet, you can actually send those questions to me as I go, and I'll get them popped up right here, and I'll do my best uh, to answer those. If for some reason that doesn't work, we'll just use that good old-fashioned method of stick your hand in the air. And uh, even if like you don't have a smartphone and you don't, you're kind of against that, that's fine. You can stick your hand in the air; we'll make it work. And so we're going to try to reserve some time um, to make make a conversation happen toward the end, if that's okay. And so, um, with that said, I want to give you a little preview of what motivated some of this in our heart, um, because we made some substantive and fundamental changes in how we we go about uh, discipling kids and teenagers in our local church. And where this was all born was in this urgency. I took a little bit of a, a sabbatical, not a full sabbatical, but I took some time away to, to dream about where God was leading us as a church. I'm a lead pastor, and so um, I took some time back to think strategically. And asking God, how do we, how do we reach our area? I, I live in a, a white-collar, suburban community. Um, it's all about the school system. That's all about families and stuff like that. And so... Um, I began to ask the question, how do, how do we reach into them, and how, how do we actually be effective in the area of evangelism? And I began to just peruse a lot of different things. And here's, here's what you, you know, and you've heard the statistics. You know, if you've ever heard of the 414 window, the 414 window is the space um, that most people across the globe um, will come to faith in Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. That statistically, um, uh, some statistics say as high as 90% of people come to faith before they're 18 years old. That there is this receptivity while someone's in their stages, early stages of development in life to the gospel in ways that are a little bit different and a little bit harder as they go through life. And so what God began to drop into my heart was to say this, um, if that's true, that most people come to faith in Jesus Christ, that... Um, in those early ages, then if we're serious about evangelism, we've got to be serious about kids and teenagers because that's where, that's the sweet spot. It's not to say that we aren't serious about adults and it's not to say that we're not serious about everything else. That's, that's important. And the other side of it is, is that the challenge sometimes of seeing students um, walk through our churches um, and not walk into either they, maybe they, they leave church or, or, or even just as, not as necessarily as bad, but certainly not 
good is that they, um, they don't walk fully into faith. They've been raised in church. Now they enter into adulthood and they're just kind of floundering in a place when they shouldn't flounder because they've had 18 years of discipleship built at them, right? So this was all the background for us to go, okay, what if and we were a traditional Assemblies of God church, right? Which had children's ministries. Uh, in that, we had essentially three areas. We had, you know, early childhood, you know, which was toddlers and babies and pre-K. And then we had elementary and they were doing their own thing. You know, so early childhood's doing their thing. And many times in each classroom, they're doing something different. And they're kind of each coming up with their own situation about how to solve their problems and how to disciple the kids that are in front of them. And then they move into pre-K and they're going to do a completely separate, different deal. And they're going to try to do that. And then they move into elementary and now they're going to do a whole different set of objectives and priorities. And then they move into our student ministry. And now there's a whole new set of priorities and objectives and goals. And, and it felt very disjointed. And then you ask the question, okay, I, you know, I've got some educators in my church, and they begin to, begin to wrestle around this idea of what if, and it, it all happened with a friend, David Pafford, some of you know David, he is our leadership development director, asking some of these questions and at the time when I was asking them, what if we, and here's one of the big questions, what if, what if we were to step back and go, if a kid walks through our entire church discipleship process, zero to 18, was raised in our church, which is, let's be honest, that's pretty lofty. That's not ideal. You know, that's that's pretty idealistic. But if they do that, what do they look like at the end? What do we want them to look like at the end? What do they need to to know? What do they need to experience? What what are the environment? And so that begins to shape every other question after that, doesn't it? And so what we came to through a lot of research and through a lot of conversation and through just, uh, just a whole bunch of stuff is this approach, um, you know, that's titled in this session, Age and Stage Discipleship. And so I want to provide some definitions for you um, for what that means. And so Age and Stage Discipleship, if they can follow me up on the screen, Age and Stage Discipleship, we've got to clarify some terms, is this, an intentional approach to discipleship that aligns children's and youth ministry structures toward a specific outcome-based upon the student's age and a student's uh, stage of cognitive and social development. So where are they at? What are you teaching to preschoolers? And, and is it something that preschoolers at their stage of development, this is where we get into some educational theory, right? So if you're an educator in the room, if you're a teacher in the room, I remember sitting our teachers around the table and talking to them about this, the people that are professional educators, and they'll go, we do this all the time. Like, how come the church isn't doing this? I mean, we're not doing this? And you're like, uh, no way. We, we, we play a video. We sing some songs. We tell some stories, right? So um, age and stage discipleship, an intentional approach to discipleship that aligns children's and youth ministry structures toward a specific outcome based upon students' age and students' stage of cognitive and social development. And second question, or second um, definition this morning that's critical because you're going to hear me reference it a lot, is this concept of family ministry. It's a concept of family ministry, which we're going to define here. There's lots of people that try to define this, but I'm going to define it this way. An approach to student discipleship that attempts to equip uh, parents and primary caregivers with the tools they need to invest faith in Christ into children and teenagers in their home. Family ministry is more, than, more of an operating system than it is a program. 
It's a way of looking at discipleship. Okay, you're going to hear me reference family ministry, and and sometimes that word gets co-opted and pushed into what is typical structures within a lot of our Assemblies of God churches, and it's not necessarily bad. So don't hear me say that this morning. It's what I described earlier, where it's program department, they're doing their thing. Program department, they're doing their thing. Program department, they're doing their thing, and we take on all the responsibility of discipling that student. Right, that, that child, that teenager, we own it. And we say, parents, we got this. And then we also, each department, each group is doing their own thing. And none of them are working together. So what, uh, we're going to get into the nitty gritty here. I wanted to have some definitions that work in the background for us. So what are the foundations of age and stage discipleship? There are three words that you can write down um, that will help you define age and stage discipleship. The first word is intentionality. The first word is intentionality. So the key question that we ask here, a key question that you could use, and it's in the notes that you can download. The key question that you could use to, to help have this conversation when you go home is this. What should a student look like if they're raised in our church and they graduate out of one of our programs? Like, for real. Real discussion. What do they need? What should they look like? What should they have experienced? What do they need to know? You know, there's a couple of pieces to discipleship. One is um, something that we know, it's spiritual formation. So the image of Christ being put inside of us. But a big part of that is just having the raw materials of content. Like you got to know some stuff to be able to interact with that knowledge, to apply that knowledge, to live that knowledge. And so there, there is this part of discipleship that is Christian education, that is about teaching. Okay, so the, the question is, um, how does intentionality play into that? So what, what does a, ch- a child need to know? We'll look at some of that in just a second when we talk about structure and how to. So many churches, and maybe your church, have a haphazard uh, approach that's a little bit disconnected like I one I described earlier. So each environment is doing something different. They all have different goals. They all have different objectives. None of them are working toward the same goal because, you know, they would... S- Okay, let, let's, let's take the halo off, okay? So you would say they're working toward the same goal, right? I mean, let's just be honest. They're not. They're all working toward their thing, and we create these silos, what, what Mark Rutland calls these feudal systems, these kingdoms within the local church, that they're competing for resources, competing for energy. They're, they've all got their own calendars. They've all got their own schedules, and they just stack and layer on top of one another, and they just kind of run independently of one another. The, 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 the age and stage approach peels all that back and says, no, 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 no. Let, let's start with the end in mind. Let's be super intentional about the conversation. Let's not just just go and have department directors and, and teachers just do their own thing. Let, let's pull everybody around the same table and go, how, how do we do this? So we're going to look at how we've applied it in a second. But it starts with this, this intentionality that, that many times because of the schedule and because of the priorities and because there's so much going on, we don't stop long enough to have this conversation. You may have never had this, you pastor, children's pastor, you may have never had this conversation with your senior pastor. Pastor, what, what do you want at the end of this? Maybe you're a senior pastor in this room and you've never had this conversation with your, with your the people that are serving in your youth, children's and youth ministries, your family ministries, right? What, what should a kid look like if they go through our program? They've gone through our discipleship because chances are the chances of them coming back and being a part of your church after they're 18, probably 
probably minimal, you know, because they're going to go off and go to college and things happen and they go, you know, that's just how life goes, right? So, so while they're with us, what are we doing? Second word is this. Um, let, me, let me say this about intentionality too. So most curricular designs, most curriculum that you buy, um, we typically make the decisions on a curriculum based upon the week-to-week application. So we have a very limited view. So the, the questions that we do when we review a curriculum, and this is a lot more targeted toward children's ministry is it, than youth ministry because youth ministry, you know, youth pastors a lot of times will just kind of, I got this. You know, I don't need a curriculum. You know, um, I was a youth pastor, so I, I know that. I mean, that's what I did, right? I, I, I was Bible school trained. I, I could just, you know, all that stuff, right? So here's how we evaluate curriculum a lot of times. What's the videos that they give me every week? What's the lesson plan look like? Are the object lessons good? Like the week to week, how is this deployed? Not the big questions of like, what is it teaching? Like what are the big building blocks? We think about, because many of you are heroes, right? I'm full time. I get paid to do this. Many of you are serving in positions where you're doing this part time or volunteer. And so you don't got time, right? You just got to think, I got I to gotta get something up and running this Sunday. But I want to challenge you. Take some time. Step back. Do what you got to do. Because it's so easy to be busy, and, it looks, and you're doing a lot, but not be productive. Right? So intentionality. Second thing is this. Second word is influence. So this is a really key, key part of age and stage is Influence. Who has the greatest potential to impact student discipleship? Who has the greatest potential to impact student discipleship? Um, I could go a long way on this. And if you ever want to have this conversation, um, you know, and you live in Columbus, you know, Julie Pratt's in the back of the room, like, she would talk to you about this. I know she would, right? Um, like, there are people... Anybody, anybody who knows, if you've been in ministry for long, or if you've been in a children's ministry, you know, right? Who has the greatest potential impact to child's discipleship? Parents. You know it, right? I mean, if you've ever read, many of you, how many of you read the Orange book? Very popular book. Okay. Oh, come on now. You've got to read that book. It's a great book, right? Great book. You need to read that book. Um, it's referenced in, I think, one of the things here. So, it, they outline this, this crazy reality, right? The average parent or um, the average youth ministry, children's ministry has in a year face-to-face contact about 40 to 50 hours with a student in a year. The average parent has about 3,000 hours of face-to-face time in a year. Who has more influence? Parents. Every longitudinal study, every one of them, every one of them says that parents, one particular sociologist who's not a Christian, but he studies Christian church and, and faith and how it's transmitted, said it's, um, how do you, it's almost fatalistic if a child grows up in a home with faith that they will walk in faith, like real faith, not like I went to church faith, like real faith where it's integrated in the life of their home. They he says, almost fatalistic. We know nothing is fatalistic. But the same token, if a child walk, grows up in a marginal home where they're kind of clocking it in on Sundays once or twice every four to six weeks, the chances of that kid growing up in faith, I mean, they're just, the odds are stacked against them. That doesn't mean that it can't happen. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not greater. It doesn't mean anything. But just sociologically, that's the trends they're seeing. 
In fact, we, we did a study. I say we, a friend of mine did a study. Um, some of you know Steve, Steve Pulis, who used to work in the National Youth Department, um, works in a different place now. He, um, he did a study with his PhD research um, of assemblies of God students. So he did it in our own tribe, saying, what were the factors that determined long-term faith? What are the factors? And his was specific to youth ministry, but it certainly applies. Uh, you know, I talked with him for several hours the other day uh, on this. And he, he determined through research, through just objective, we're, we're pulling together the sample group, three areas where, where if you do these things, if these are vibrant parts of discipleship, of that, that influence piece, then, then these are the factors. One, that you have zero control over which is the individual's desire for spiritual growth, right? Anybody who disciples anybody else knows that if somebody doesn't want it, they're not going to do it. That's a fact, right? So one of those is Holy Spirit. You've got to pray that in. There's nothing you can do um, to change that. So that's Holy Spirit work. That's firmly in his category. That's where you're just, you know, wearing your knees out praying for those people. The second one is this, the investment of a parent or what he calls also a spiritual foster parent. So typically when we talk about age and stage discipleship, you know who has the biggest problem with it? People who are in youth ministry. Okay. I've just found that. I've done this several times. You know why? It's because they go, well, that's great. But I've got, I think about our youth ministry, some of our, our, our team is here. I think about, what about, what about Javante? His mom doesn't go to church. He doesn't really have a good father figure in his life. How are we supposed to do agency discipleship where we give the, the tools back to the parents when there's not a parent who's godly in their life? What do we do there? Well, Steve would answer that with what he calls spiritual foster parenting. So spiritual foster parenting is, you know, what many of you have experienced when you were a teenager or you were a kid. You had that Sunday school teacher. You had that youth pastor. You had that person who functioned in that parental role. Okay, but still, it does not negate the fact that the parental role has untold amounts of influence. There was a study done, longitudinal study, about a 30-year study that determined um, that the number of top five influencers toward faith in a child's life are number one, the parent, number two, the grandparent, number three, the friends, number four, the pastor, number five, the church. We don't show up until four or five. Yet, what we spend most of our energy on is our influence. You see that, the misalignment there? We put most of our energy into the 40 hours that, uh, that we have in a year. What if we were to pivot? What if we were to pivot and put that energy into parents and making them better disciplers? To maximize the 3,000 hours that they have? Boy, that's a big question. That's an important question. The third thing that Steve articulates um, that we'll talk about a little bit in application is the student's participation in a small group discipleship format. So that big group is not, that it's not that it's, uh, you know, that youth service or that, that Sunday morning kids church service. It's not that that's not effective. It's just not most effective. And anybody who's done this for long enough would say, yep, somebody gets plugged into a small group, they're just going to grow faster and farther. That's just church 101, right? That's the thing we stand up. If you're a senior pastor, every time you talk about your small groups, every time you talk about your Sunday school classes, you stand up there and say, there's a way that you can grow that's bigger than Sunday morning because you, you get into small group and you're, do, you're, you're, you're walking with people. You know, you know this, right? So the second big idea is influence. And so what if we were to not only to think with the end in mind, but think who has the most influence and then move 
reposition our ministries around the influence in a kid's life. The third big um, word that we're going to talk about here today um, for the motivation for or the foundations for um, agent stage discipleship is alignment. So if we have one and two, we really have to, to think about what that means. And here's a question that you can ask in your team um, in a conversation around this topic would be, how does ministry change if we want to hit certain targets and leverage key influencers? And this was the question that provoked so much change in how we did it. Because we began to have to ask the real question of what, what really changes? What, 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 what does it really take to, to disciple in a way that's both intentional and leveraging key influencers? Um, so we're going to talk about some of this in a second more detail. But what we began to do, which was, honest to goodness, culture change and painful, um, was ministry departments began to be brought together into alignment along week-to-week themes. Um, We began to think with long-term goals, and we began to say this phrase, which is not complete, and you can push back. We began to say this phrase is, kids' ministry is not about kids. It's about parents. Youth ministry is not about youth. It's about parents. That repositioning, and, and, and certainly that's not foolproof, right? We know that that's not entirely accurate. But what we're saying is our priority has shifted. So now we're going to align our ministries along the same themes every week. So that, uh, And we'll talk about why it's important in a moment. We're going, to, we're going to bring everybody together along the same pathway. so that yeah. And then, then, then we're, going to, we're going to work toward the same goals. And we're going to reposition. We're going to think about how does our Sunday morning kids church help the parent disciple better? It's a big question, right? So the question is how, some of you are like, how do you do that, you know? Um, so the question is, how is it structured? And this is where we're going to get into the nitty gritty, okay? So, so buckle up for a second. We do this with, and this is all written down on these notes that you can download. We do this with core competencies, milestones, family integration, okay? Core competencies, milestones, and family integration. So core competencies, uh, to answer that intentional question, um, in the... Um, SCED app, there are, um, there's a PDF document that you can download for later. But basically what is in this document is an outline, and it was produced, honestly, within the Ohio Ministry Network. David Pafford kind of coalesced this from about seven different sources, and it's these core competencies. So what do they need to know and, and understand? So what are the teaching goals of each age and stage? And I've got those outlined for you in detail. I adapted David's content um, for our use around certain things because, um, as we'll see in family integration, part of what we try to do um, on a week-to-week basis is with the core competency that we're using, we want parents to be able to use that in a, in a discipleship format in their home, so a, a family Bible study in their home. Okay, and so we distilled it around certain themes because, as you well know, if you've got three or four kids, and we've got families in our church that have a whole gaggle of kids, you know, they walk in and increase our attendance percentage by ten percent every Sunday morning. Um, you know, they walk in with a bus. You got those families? Maybe you are that family. We're just like the Partridge family. Okay, um, so 
um, no, there's no, the likely possibility of all of them being in the same group environment, children's ministry, elementary, it, it's just not, you're going to have a kid who's, I got him in early childhood and I got one in, in elementary and I got one in, in junior high, I got one in high school. And so if you're trying to have a family faith talk at home, it's really important to have these core competencies, core competencies in place and that you have alignment because you're, you can have the same conversation, just apply it in different areas. So you can talk about the same scripture, but you can look at your high schooler and say, now this is how you, you apply it. Now this is how you, you know, you get what I'm saying? So the core competencies are in areas. So for instance, let's talk about one of them, God's plan for me. Um, they follow along certain cognitive, and I'm not going to get into all, the, all this stuff because we just don't have time, but they follow along certain cognitive fault lines. So what can, how do students think when they're pre, pre-K? How do they learn, right? Because they learn differently. Their brain's at a different stage of development. So there are things that, that we try to do sometimes in those environments that just literally do not have the brain power for. They do not see, and even ways they learn. So for instance, we do, you know, the same, in our pre-K, we do the same four lessons in one month. Exact same. We play the same videos. We see the same. You know why? It's because anybody who's ever had a two, three, four year, five year old knows that you can watch the same stupid video over and 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 over again, right? They don't get tired of it. You know why? Because their brain doesn't have the little thing that makes them get tired of it. In fact, they learn. You know why Blue, you know, Blue's Clues made this shift, right? Blue's Clues did the same thing. They did the same episode every single day for a week. Drove parents crazy. But what they found was is that students were learning. In fact, they, they, the first time they watched it, they got surprised. The second time, they looked for it coming, and they began to integrate that thinking. That's, that's just pre-K educational philosophy, right? So, for instance, around a topic like God's plan for me, babies to two years old, I can grow like Jesus. I can grow like Jesus. And you can even talk about I can grow like Jesus, like he grew, like his body grew, Right? And so as we move into three, three, to, three years to kindergarten, the Bible helps me know what to do. The Bible helps me know what to do. Concrete learners, they just got to know. The Bible helps me know what to do. They've got to understand the stories. As we move into grades one and two, we're starting to change in our development, right? So we're going to change our strategy. I can follow Jesus' example. I can look at his life and I can, I can mimic that. They're beginning, to be, they're beginning to move from concrete thinking to conceptual thinking. They're not quite there yet. In fact, they won't get there, um, really won't start taking root until they're a teenager to move that conceptual thinking. But in that concrete conceptual spot, I'm trying to build that connection between the fact and how it's applied to my life. You can begin to make that switch as an elementary-aged um, person. So grades three and four, five and six, um, God's plan is to accept Jesus and obey him. That's one of the, I can develop talents. I can learn to love others. You're starting to begin to make that switch. Now, as you make the switch into adolescence, everything changes. <laughs> I mean, everything changes. How many of you have teenagers? And you experience the joy that goes through everything changing. It's like, how many, I mean, as a youth pastor, I'd get people to walk in and be like, where, where did my kid go? Like, what? Like, they were this way t- yesterday, and they're today, like, a monster, right? I mean, they're just awful. I hate them. Like, I don't want to be with them. I want them to live in another house, right? That's just true. And if you're not laughing, it's because you've never raised a teenager. 
I mean, you just, or, or been around them, right? I mean, just, they're terrible human beings until they grow up a little bit, right? So anyhow, and I'm obviously being facetious, but as we make that, that shift into, um, as we make that shift in that teenage years, obviously that's growing independence. They're beginning to flesh their life out. And so we begin to make the shift programmatically to say, okay, how does truth apply? So, so where before it's a lot about content is what do we need to know? The shift as they come into teenagers is more toward, okay, what do we need to do? Who do we need to be? Especially as they go toward high school, like, who am I becoming? It's the, the core competencies shift along the same themes. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit all the way through. But they begin to shift in how they're applied. And we do that intentionally so that when, again, if somebody goes all the way through, they're going to come into their teenage years with some background data, some content that can help serve them in the application process, right? So we begin to move from information to application, Okay. And you'll see that in the age and stage stuff. And if you do any educational theory or cognitive development stuff, you'll see that play out. So we, we operate on these core competencies um, every single week uh, where that's, that's one of our big goals is how do, we, how do we hit these core competencies effectively? The second thing is milestones. So milestones, so essentially, what, what are our targets? What are our big targets? What are those big moments that they need to experience? So for instance, you know, if we're using the research and we say, listen, um, we want students to, we know the research says the 414 window, they're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know, before they're 14, by and large. Uh, and most, some research would say, you know, what a, what a person believes that at nine years old, they'll believe for the rest of their life. So which scares the bejesus out of you if you've got, you know, anybody, if you've got a nine-year-old in your house, you're like, <gasps> oh my gosh. Um, but, but he, um, so what we began to do is say, okay, let's set some milestones. Let's set the milestone of, if it's true they come to faith in Jesus Christ before fifth grade, let's set a milestone to create an environment where they're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Where the, the goals and the things we equip parents toward is about them crossing the line of faith. Can we control that? No, but can we create an environment where it's most likely to succeed? Yes. We can, we can point ourselves in that direction, both in our resources and in our, in our planning. So we do a lot of different things to do this. So obviously, you have the conversation of baptism, right? Okay, that's a, what's a milestone. That's something you want your, your kids to, and teenagers to experience. Now, in our case, one of the ways we fuse... Um, and make it significant, for instance, in baptism, and this is ex- so awesome, powerful. I mean, these are some of my favorite services, is when we have a, a child or a teenager express the desire to be baptized, you know who's baptizing them with me? Their mom or dad. Uh, back in July, we had a baptismal service um, where we had a couple of the dads, one of them who's here uh, in a synergy today, and they these dads are with me. You know why? Because their dad is the primary spiritual influencer in their life. And so we're saying to dad, it's this moment where we cement that in dad's heart. Where as, I mean, you got these dads, these big burly dudes that are weeping in the baptismal tank as they're baptizing their kid. And they'll never forget that. It will also be this moment where they go, listen, I've got to be a good dad. I got to do everything I can because I just did this. This starting block, I don't want this to go away, right? But for the kid, I mean, think about what that does. 
I think about little Joel, you know, he's like seven years old and he, man, this kid, he's going to be a preacher someday. I mean, he's awesome. But he, his dad, I mean, he's weeping as he's baptized. And this moment was powerful. It was not just powerful for dad and son. It was powerful for the church say, hey, we care about investing in the next generation, right? We create community values. We also do baptism and communion together. So that the idea, we borrow it, honestly, from a couple thousand years of church history, which is the idea of first communion. So that before they're baptized, they participate in communion. So that they celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. And then in baptism, they celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We draw those lines hard. Right, So that, that experience, that milestone cements the two pillars of Christian faith. Right, The milestones become big moments. And so we have all kinds of milestones that we, we hit toward. And if you're ever wondering more about milestones, there's a great resource um, by a guy named Brian Haynes. I put it in the notes, LegacyMilestones.com. Incredible um, stuff they got there. Um, receiving a Bible, plugging into a place of service. We make that a big deal, you know, so that our children and teenagers are serving. In some way, you know, that's a big moment, and we we make that a moment, right? We go through a discipleship process there. Um, we do a, a parent and baby dedication, so you know, we tend to think about discipleship starting, um, you know, once they can understand. No, 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 no. Discipleship starts like out the gate, right? And so we we parent we call parent and baby dedication, which is like launching parents into their role as spiritual you know, as spiritual influencers. So milestones is a huge deal. So you create these moments, you create these kind of sacred spaces that they can go back to as these big blips on the radar screen. So you can think about core competencies as that just kind of steady stream where milestones is that big moment. So baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we want that milestone to take place in their life. You know, we, all of these big moments where we make, that we know that in themselves are not all there is. But they are important, right? They're critical. And we could all look at our discipleship and go, this was the moment, you know, when God, you know, whatever. Um, and we make those things that are significant, significant. And then the third um, area is family integration. So we have in this document that I gave you, we give parents these, um, as this is a tool, okay? There's a tool we give to parents that explains kind of our, our mentality, philosophy, biblically, practically. Um, and we operate off of, um, four different drivers. The drivers are example, consistency, synergy, and influence. Example, consistency, um, synergy, and influence. You can find them on, like in the middle of the book. I think it's the centerfold. Um, so example is this concept that you are, you are first a model of discipleship. So parent, you've got to live this thing out. You've got to show them what's done, right? So we're, we want you, we're, we're going we're gonna to help disciple you so you can disciple your kids. Number two is synergy, is this concept that we're, the church and the home works together. So this is, if you've ever heard the orange concept, this is the whole orange concept. You know, red is this love component. It's the home. Yellow is this truth component. You put them together, it's orange, right? That's the whole orange concept. The home and the church are not in competition with one another. We need to work to be in synergy together. The third concept is this, consistency, where we encourage parents to tend to church with their children. <laughs> yeah, that sounds crazy, but you know how many parents don't do that, right? The average in America, the average church attender is once every four to five weeks. That's, that, they consider that to be regular attendance, Right? There's just no way that that's regular, right? There's no way that they're making it, you know, making it happen. And certainly, um, you know, I could 
uh, I get a little preachy here, so I'm going to stop. But, but the, the statistics bear out that 28% of students who go to church every week were more likely to persist in faith in their adulthood life. So it's not to say that church attendance is not important. It's, 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 a, it's a part of this process, right? It's not the only piece, right? And sometimes we make it, we minimize it. It's important. So what we say is consistency. You've got you to keep ringing a bell. You've got to keep investing. You've got to keep doing the thing. You've got to keep hanging in there. And the final thing we really hit is influence. And really, this is the conversation we've had today, that, that you are a primary influencer. And the way that we encourage parents to do this, to integrate this in our agent stage process, is in a, a what we call family faith talk. We borrowed that term from Brian Haynes, which is basically just a Bible study in your home, family Bible study. Right, So here's a couple of things that when we started this whole process, and I think you could use these, um, when we started this whole process, we operated off some assumptions. Because sometimes when I was younger and I was a youth pastor, I was always like, parents are such idiots, right? Of course, I didn't have kids. And so much easier to make that assessment when you don't have children. Um, but parents, man, they're just screwing up. They don't care about their kids. That's what I would say. I mean, if you've, you've ever said that before, they just don't care about their kids. How many parents do you know that don't care about their kids? Right? I mean, that's just not, that's not real. We made this assumption out of the gate. We're going to make positive assumptions about people. That they care about their children. Second positive assumption that we make is that they want their kid to grow up and follow Jesus. I've never met a parent who said, yeah, I really don't care. I've met plenty of parents who have weeped in my office. Saying, I just don't know what to do. They're walking away. They had these questions. They have a, I've met plenty of those. So that tells me parents care about their kids and they want their kids to grow up in faith. Here's the third assumption that we make. The reason why there's a disconnect is that while parents care about their kids and they want their kids to grow up in faith, they have no idea about how to disciple their own kid, right? They live in this space of going, I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader, I've got all this knowledge in the back of my, I find myself going, boy, I, I don't know what to say right now. I don't know what to do right now. So if, if, if the roadblock for parents taking on discipleship is simply a tactical roadblock. If just, I don't know how to do this. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> enter the church. That's our role, right? Is we're going to help you know how to do it. We're going to equip you to this end. And so that's where we use the core competencies. I talked about this a moment ago. Um, that we use the core competencies as the fodder. So every week an email gets sent out. Uh, my wife is our family ministry pastor and she's with our kids today or she'd be with us. But um, my, my wife pulls together an email with a parenting resource. So something she's found on the internet, nothing that she creates, something she's found somewhere else, okay? A blog article, a podcast, a book, you know, some kind of parenting resource. Throws it up there and says, hey, dealing with, your teenager being mouthy, here's five steps, you know, to integrate, right? Right? Practical, really practical. Then it's core competencies. Here's the core competency for each age bracket that matches. And here's the scripture. And then we give them this document that gives them the outline for how to have a family faith talk. It's real simple. It's so basic. It's on this page. And it talks about, okay, first you're going to open in prayer. 
And you can let your kids pray. Encourage them to pray, right? You're going to open in prayer. Second, you're going to teach and discuss. You're going to take the verse that we gave you, and you're going to read it. And then you're going to have some discussion questions around what's doing. And we even sometimes provide discussion questions, too. Around the core competency. What's the big idea? This is not a lecture. This is a conversation. And the third thing is we're going to close in prayer. So we want you to do that every week. One hour a week. One time a week. You just gather together. Not every day. Not for like a big, long extended time. And listen, we tell parents all the time, it doesn't have to be perfect. If you've ever done faith, you know, family faith talks, Bible stuff in your home, you know, when we do it in our house, there's a whole lot of stop hitting your brother, you know. Uh, but Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, would you stop it? Sit down right now. You know, you, you have this, and, and part of the reason why parents get stuck and why you get stuck maybe is that you think it's got to be perfect and everybody's got to sit down quietly for it to work. And listen, it's just not realistic. That what you do, we, we think that one devotional is going to change their life. And that may be true. But it's actually the, the cumulative total of all the conversations that is what changes their life. And so while it's not going to be pretty and not going to be perfect and someone's going to get spanked, someone's going to get grounded. What you do when you do it every week, every day begins to change. So Steve, my friend, I talked to you about the research. He shared this story with me about his own sons. Steve's a youth ministry professional. Like he goes to Central Assembly in Springfield and he said, I, what I found was that Sunday left, the, the message from Sunday left was left in the parking lot every week. And I knew they were in a great kids ministry. So what I began to do is on the way home. So what did you learn? What was the story about? Right? Crickets. We've all done that, right? They were just jabbering about all kinds of stuff. Then you ask them that question like, uh, I don't know, right? Nothing, you know, that's, but he found though that he, every week, he kind of pressed harder and harder into that, right? So what was the story about? What was the details? What did, you know, Pastor so-and-so say? Or what did, finally, pulling teeth, those first few weeks were rough, but three months into it, he noticed his kids came ready to answer these questions, Right? Because it's not about what happens in that one time. It's about what happens when you do it over and over and over again. And if we can equip parents with that tool, very simple stuff, right? So one of the things that we do practically to integrate family and the core competencies and age and stage is this. We send out the email that has it. The second thing is, for instance, in our kids' ministry, we send these text messages to parents. We talked about this topic today. Here's the questions you can ask them on the ride home. We send a text message to them. Real simple. It doesn't, it's not like earth shattering, right? But you're having these conversations. Our student ministry will do stuff where they use, they're a little bit more social media driven. So they'll, they'll hit the social media topics online. So they'll kind of keep it out there. And they, man, they encourage parents to be a part of it. We just had a whole, whole deal around um, relationships and sex and dating and all that kind of stuff. And we, we, we sent a lot of information home to parents that time because obviously we're stepping into some pretty sketchy spaces. And so it, this, this, you know, we get this, this parenting relationship with church. That's powerful. And we're working toward the same direction. Things happen, of course, along, along a journey of core competencies and milestones. So this can be represented in a number of different ways. So the, the, the final area where we do the family integration is in parenting and caregiver resources. So we say, okay, along age and stage, along cognitive development, there are certain difficulties in life, Right? And so we'll have parenting seminars. We try to do one every quarter. We definitely do two a year, right? So we've got one coming up in two weeks for a specific audience of people. 
parents who have special needs kids. So you've got kids who, you know, have emotional issues, they have cognitive issues, they've got developmental issues, they've got challenges, they've got traumas, they've got all kinds of stuff. Okay, that's a unique set of parenting. So we're going to bring in some people and we're going to talk about that, you know. Um, we've done family, in fact, Julie did one for us, dealing with difficult topics. Um, Julie's in the back here. Dealing with difficult topics. So um, how do you have the conversation about sex? Every parent's going to do that. And that conversation is not one conversation, right? It's conversations. It's an evolving conversation, right? And so we're helping parents. Most, what we found with our parenting seminars is parents walk in and they're going, I wish, boy, we had one from a guy named Don Litchie, who's a psychologist at Emerge. It's called Dealing with Difficult Behaviors in Your Children. The room was packed, okay? It was huge, right? It was just massive, right? We identify the topics and we go, hey, what are parents dealing with? Along these fault lines, along these issues, let's bring some people in. It'd be the best honorarium you ever spend, Pastor. It'd be the best, best hundred bucks, two hundred bucks you ever spend. Bringing somebody in to have a conversation around real issues that parents have. We had a panel of we have counselors close because we're in the Akron area, so we have all these people. We had a panel, we did Q and A with counselors, Christian counselors, and we we couldn't. We had to stop it eventually. His parents are going, my kid's having difficulty at school. Now, why can't the church help you out part of helping that issue? Because you don't, their difficulty at school is impacting their spiritual development. It's impacting their relationships. It's impacting every sphere of their life, right? So, man, let's, let's talk about how, what happens when they don't get good grades. Let's talk about, let's not make discipleship one-dimensional, right? So, um, so we do parenting resources. We do all kinds of stuff there. I have included in the notes some, some curricular options that are, lend themselves to family ministry. Now, I don't have any youth ones because we kind of tailored that at the youth ministry level. But some options that we found to be really good, one of them is free that we use all the time, is open.life.church. So their pre-K curriculum, for, for instance, the Bible app for kids, that's the curriculum. Now, if you're not using it, it's free and it is unbelievable. And here's the, here's the kicker. Life Church is so great uh, that they, they paid for this organization to develop it. The organization is this organization called One Hope, which used to be called Book of Hope. It's an Assemblies of God organization that built this curriculum. You know the first four lessons they created? One was on the day of Pentecost. You know how challenging it is to find Pentecostal curriculum? This has got it right in there, okay? They have an app. They have all kinds of stuff. It's meant to go home. They have all kinds of take-home stuff for the parents, all kinds of stuff. Uh, True, uh, somebody's got partnered with this. I've I've not actually looked at this, but I know it it exists. My friend Julie is giving a thumbs up back there. Excellent. They've actually created, the AG worked with True to create a Pentecostal curriculum. It is intended to be deployed with the parent and the church. Another great one that I have used is the Gospel Project. Um, Excellent content, excellent videos, very affordable, um, and they also have questions already made for discussion at home. They have tools already made for deployment at home. Uh, another one that many of you might use is Orange Curriculum. I've not used it, but I know this was it was built apart, built around this kind of thing, the 252 Basics. Um, and so look at those, and I've got a bunch of resources here. Um, with our remaining time, we got about um, 12 minutes, and... Um, I don't have any questions up here, so we're just going to kind of fire it off. Um, Q&A. Let's, let's um, 
ask some questions about what we do. Patrick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's great. So great question. Patrick's lead pastor in Northeast Ohio. He says, as a lead pastor, how do you drive down on Sunday morning? So as a senior leader, what are you doing? I'm always having the conversation. So even if it's two or three sentences about what we're doing, uh, we have it as one of our eight hills. We talk about intentionally investing in the next generation is kind of the converse, the way we phrase it. And so um, when we have different moments like we do, um, like all of you will, you know, or all of you do, you know, it's graduation and promotion. Um, we make that a day, right? And I'll stand up there as a senior pastor and say, you know, the reason why we do this is because our core value at New Life, our, our, one of our eight hills, is that we intentionally invest in the next generation. This is, mo- this is, this is a part of our DNA. This is part of what we do. Um, letting dads baptize their kids, you know, that, that's a tough thing. I love baptism. Now, what I said was um, we do it together because we're both influencers, right? Um, and you kind of have to work some of the, the ecclesiology on that one out. But the, um, which I, maybe I do, I'm just a total academic, but um, you do, you, you make that statement, you insert it into a lot of things and then you preach about it, right? So two weeks ago, I preached about the generational nature of faith, right? So I'm preaching through the book of first Kings and you see generation after generation after generation after generation. So I talked about that talked about how, how faith is either transmitted or not transmitted generational. That's why I preach about it, you know, so it's, it becomes a topic of sermons. Um, Mother's Days and Father's Days, great times. The other way that we do it um, is once a quarter integrated services. So um, this is a lot of fun. We provide a little thing with it, and we bring all the kids together, and they're a part of our service, and we do this for a lot of reasons. One is just to have them see themselves as a part of the church, so part of the bigger, the bigger group. It's also a great way to give your volunteers a break, right? So we still have nursery. We still have toddlers because that's just not practical to have babies in there. But, but it's a great way to give them a breather while also saying, I mean, I stand there and say, my favorite people are in the room today, right? The best part of our church is here with us this morning. Man, you guys are so much better than the adults. I say it all the time. Um, so we, we do it that way. Integrated services, we do all, all kinds of that kind of thing. So um, that's, that's one way. Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. <laughs> Approach that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah, the language we use is called building and creating family. So we want to build family, we want to create family. That's the language we use internally. Um, I think that is a million-dollar question. <laughs> um, I don't know that we've wrestled it to the ground. 
um, well. Um, some of it starts culturally, right? So you've got to preach about it. You've got to teach about it. Senior pastor, I can't describe to you how important you are to this process. Because I, I know friends who are on staff at churches. They, were, you know, they wanted this kind of a holistic approach. The senior pastor is the gatekeeper of everything. And so they didn't give the space for that. And they just found themselves frustrated. And I know at least one person moved on. So um, you've got to be preaching and teaching this um, practically. So I think, because here's why, to answer your question, you, you can think programmatically. And I love how you, you know, I'm a programmatic thinker, right? But, but culture eats strategy for breakfast is what Seth Godin says. And so the problem is you can create a program, but if the culture's not there, like if you've not built that culture of saying, of repositioning. So generational ministry, you know, part of like a couple weeks ago when I preached, um, part of generational ministry is, is saying to that older generation, what is your role now in life? Well, you got all this life and all this experience. Um, it's not for you to sit back. It's for you to engage, right? You got to walk across the aisle. Like you said, you got to, um, and so when you have those champions, when you have those people who do it, celebrate. What you celebrate gets repeated. So you have that person for us, it's Barb Phillips, right? You know, and my, my team knows, like, she's like, you know, Naomi Beers. You know, these are like 70-year-old, 75-year-old women. And they just, they just cross the aisle, man. They get in the mix. And, and then we go, oh, you know, I love the other day Naomi or the other day Barb was. or they, You know, we start celebrating that. And all of a sudden, we give permission to people who are in that generation to make that step. So I think the first target is cultural. Um, I don't know that I have a programmatic way. I've not heard of one. Um, and maybe there's one in this room. I'm not the smartest person in this room for sure. But where you're, you're creating an opportunity, it's a really hard gap to close. Um, I would say also think generationally, you know, we tend to think wide ends of the spectrum, right? Um, one piece of it, I think, is getting families to adopt kids, that's the kind of language we try to try to promote in our church sometimes is to say like, you know, I've got people in my church here, so I gotta be somewhat cautious. Is to approach families and say, would you be, would you take that kid in, show up to their ball games, like, would you be there because they don't got anybody in their world, so you got to be their dad, you got to be their mom, you got to be that person. So some of it's one on one, where you can empower people who would never serve in your youth ministry because they just can't, they don't have the bandwidth for that. But you can say, would you just be that person that, that sent them a birthday card and be, you know, be there to pray with them? That altar time, you know, man, just use those moments. Foster that environment. I don't know that it's programmatic as much as it is cultural. So, Colton. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so shared space is kind of the, because I'm, Colton's my youth leader, so I know the story that he's referring to. So some of it is just getting people around people. And as that relationship happens, those walls do kind of come down. And, you know, we did have to, for early on, we had some, we had to reprogram some thinking with some some folks in the, um, in the boomer and builder generations about you know we had kids running around we had you know but what 
what kind of church? Because we, we were a church that when I came, we were like, my kid was the kid. You know, that was the situation. So they weren't used to that. And so we had to reprogram some thinking and have some tough conversations at times. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Right. Right. Yeah. I love it. That's right. I mean, it's so powerful. As a dad, one of my little Chandler, and we have two services, so Chandler attends one uh, with me, and stand there as a dad, as a, a disciple of a kid, I want him to watch me worship. I know, but what I'm saying, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. great so you probably can't hear us all the way in the back so they they do a once a month integrated service kids are serving they're doing ushering they're in worship peace they even have a kids worship song as a part of it um really powerful but the the practical parts of integrated services um and i I can't speak more highly of it how many of you grew up with sunday night church right i grew up in sunday night church and there was no such thing as specialized environments. It was a nursery, and you sat there, and, and you play with a car. Or if you were, your parents were really strict, you didn't get to play with a car. And the environment was not targeted towards you, but you learned more about church and community than you realized. Yet we have switched to a very highly specialized model, right? And we've cut this whole element. Of, you know, I, I, grew, I joked there was a guy in, um, in my home church. I grew up in Oklahoma. A uh, very old school Pentecostal church, and uh, brother Tom Estes is like eight thousand years old, and uh, he sat on the second row up to the front right from where my parents sat, and and I grew up in a pretty lively Pentecostal church. I knew um, if they if they started singing a song about heaven, um, and because he was so close to it, like that just got him out. I mean, I just and so if Tom Estes as a kid, I knew. Um, if Tom Estes left the pew and started doing his little Pentecostal dance, we don't actually dance in the Pentecostal church. We just kind of move in place. But he starts doing this. I was like, oh, it's about to get real. I mean, this is about to go down. Um, because we knew, right? And so you learn things. You take things in as a kid. You can't process them. They're kind of back in the background, right? And we tend to think sometimes, I think, and as much as we, we need to be age and stage mindful, we also need to realize that kids and teenagers really grab a whole lot more than we realize. And so hearing something that's not immediately targeted to them is really important, right? So um, it, it creates a modeling environment. It creates an opportunity to just put energy into the kids and an example like you talked about here. Uh, one, well, it's like 1229 and you got to get lunch. So here, let me give you this piece of instruction. If you, uh, you want to ask questions or anything like that, my email's in the notes. Um, it's just josh, J-O-S-H, at auroranewlife.com. 
Um, this has been a great conversation. Hopefully you've enjoyed it and been found it helpful uh, to you. Um, two things I want to do, give you a piece of information and pray for you. Um, one is this, and I think you've already heard this at least once today, but I want to reiterate it. You need to go get your lunch, and you're going to eat your lunch in your third session. Okay, So lunch, there's four different kinds of food, turkey, Italian, gluten-free, and veggie. Uh, they're in the hallways. Go grab that. Go to your next session. But I want to pray for you um, that God would use you mightily uh, as you impact the local church. I want to encourage you this as well. This event, the power of this event is in the networking. It's not just in the content. Okay. In the networking, not just in the content. Meet some people um, sitting around you that you can use as, as relationships. There's some people that are doing this already um, here in this room, you know, and so um, meet those people. Okay. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you now and I pray that you will Boy, the, the potential that's in this room, goodness gracious. Um, children's and youth leaders, senior pastors, people, family, you know, parents, grandparents. I mean, there is so much potential sitting right here to impact a generation. God, what, an, what a critical responsibility. We think all the way back to the, the foundations of, the Christ, of Christ, Judeo-Christian thinking, the Shema, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to, to walk as an example in that for the next generation and to, to in, intentionally invest faith. And then the times when it's just kind of reactive, when it just, when it just kind of, we get there because we get there. God, I pray that you would use this. I pray that you'd use every ministry represented in this room to impact the next generation, to disciple them in the ways of the Lord, to, to resource parents effectively, to, to, to really do the work so that we can see a generation that follows Jesus and, and makes an impact for the future. God, I thank you and I love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you. Thanks for coming.